work hard, play hard. Watch what you eat. Don't forget to sleep. Oh, and hit the gym four times a week. We know what we're supposed to do, but how do you make it happen when life gets in the way? This is our attempt at turning the expert's advice into daily habits. This This is Making Life Fit. Guess what today's topic is? Oh gosh, from your excitement, I could only guess that it is about wine, golf, or running. Running! (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Well, you are very knowledgeable in this subject, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Well, I wasn't always, and it took me a long time to get to where I am, and I've definitely learned a lot in the now eight years that I've been running regularly. So why did you start running? What got you into it in the beginning? So it's kind of funny. We've talked about the fact that I'm a little bit competitive and that my entire family is a little bit competitive. So what actually got me running was the color run in 2012. Mm -hmm. My family was coming down to St. Louis and my brother and sister were going to run this race and I didn't want them to kick my butt. (laughs) So I... Grew up when I, like, running for me was cross-training for swimming or for softball. I was never a runner. But when you challenge me to not lose to my siblings who are runners, I actually, you know, want to try. And you guys are pretty competitive with one another, so I can understand why you really went gung-ho with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny was a friend of mine said she would run it with me, so I trained and she was supposed to train with me. And then in the morning of the race, she's like, yeah, I didn't train. <laughs> so my siblings still beat me, even my sister who had food poisoning. So that was fun. <laughs> Sounds like she rubbed it in your face a little bit. I mean, she felt like crap the rest of the day. <laughs> How about you? I know you've run with me a couple times and we've done a few events. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think over the last year or so, I've probably become a little more open and inclined to running. Um, but it's just never been my favorite thing. I, same with you. I grew up playing other sports, and so I got my cardio in through basketball and softball and volleyball and things like that, but I was never someone to go out and run. I've had exercise-induced asthma my entire life, so going out for a run doesn't really help that, me. That, that'll juice <laughs> up for the run? No. And honestly, I just don't think I do it right. Probably going in with a mindset that I hate it doesn't help me. So I know... There's ways to do it, and I've read up on it, and there's all these programs you can follow. But, I mean, is that what you did? Did you follow a program, or or how did you get started? I actually did more of an unstructured approach. Because, like you said, there is the structured approach, and then there's what I did, which was gradually upping my distance every time I went. So I didn't really have a set plan of, I'm going to run half a mile, then a mile, then a mile and a half. It's kind of like, all right how long can I run without feeling like I'm going to die? (laughs) So when I started training for the race, it was winter and my college, you could rejoin the gym as an alum if you, you know, just paid. Mm -hmm. And they had a track around the basketball court. And so I went and would just run. And I think it was like seven laps was a mile or something like that. So I just kind of kept, Running. And just counted. Yeah, just counted. And I started at, you know, maybe I could do three laps. And then I worked my way around. So, number one, you're very disciplined. I'm a little jealous (laughs) of that. Because being unstructured, you definitely probably would have to motivate yourself. Did you 
is this like something your goal was to run without stopping or you're saying like you did seven laps but you might have stopped in between I did it without stopping okay because I'm dumb <laughs> like you can, you say dedicated I say dumb because it's one of those things when you do it that way it you are the only one that's gonna hold yourself accountable which for some people that's fine but a more structured approach is definitely an easier way to do it I did at some points after a couple of weeks my mom was a big runner and she told me to switch to the run a half mile walk a quarter mile so as I got better at running I did that to up my distance one thing that I did do when I was running just as long as I could I got a little aggressive with it and ended up getting really bad knots in my calves. Mm -hmm. So that's why the either the approach of walking a half mile, running a half mile, versus just going and running for as long as you can, probably yes. a better option. So there's, there's a reason why the programs exist, I guess. They're probably designed to avoid things like getting knots in your calves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, something like that is definitely a little more useful, especially just because I'm not as familiar or knowledgeable in running, like I said, as you are. You've been doing it for almost a decade. Do it in, like, spurts. But So if you don't feel confident in holding yourself accountable, starting from scratch, or you just need a little more help and guidance from someone else, we definitely would recommend a structured approach. And by structured, we mean something like a program such as, like, a Couch to 5K, any of those training calendars you could find on Pinterest, Runner's World, or working with an actual trainer. Personally, I've, I've done the Couch to 5K app. My husband and I actually did that this summer a few times. Well, that's misleading. We did the program. <laughs> we ran more than a few times. And I really liked that. It was nice, too, because while it was a structure, it wasn't predictable. Mm -hmm. So one day you, you might have actually ran for 10 minutes straight and then the next day or the next time you ran, you didn't do the same exact thing. It's not even that it necessarily like built perfectly. It just, it all cohesively meshed together as a good program to get you to be able to go far. So definitely would recommend a structured approach that helps keep you accountable. It's easy to track, easy to follow. And once you're comfortable with that distance and pace and you've accomplished if it's the 5k or whatever, you could definitely move on to a less structured approach, kind of like what Kat followed. Yeah, but as someone that has done both, I do think at least starting with one of those programs and kind of that gradual buildup is a much better approach. Because then you don't do things like try to run a mile straight and end up with knots in your calves and hamstrings and wobbling around. Well, it's the same concept we've talked about, right? You don't come out the gate lifting, going to the gym and lifting 200 pounds. You got to build up that kind of stuff. So you're not going to do the same with the running if you do, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> so learn from Kat's mistakes. Yeah, I would like to point out, so I Kat. was almost a decade younger. I was young and dumb. Also, the fact that we can say a decade makes me sad. I know, I felt bad saying that. We should call this episode Cat's Calves then and now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Now that we're done making fun of me for now, I'm oh, sure. Darn. <laughs> On to the fun part. Shoe shopping. Yeah, because you need more shoes. I mean, when it comes to running, shoe shopping actually is important. They have to do more than just look cute. I know we've talked about that on a lot of athletic apparel or equipment, but this is something when you're shopping for a shoe, they can be expensive, but they are cheaper than a knee replacement, which mm -hmm. is what you could end up needing if you don't choose wisely when it comes to shoes. So 
I am very picky about my running shoes. My last four pairs have actually been the exact same brand and model. They are the Asics GT 1000s. That sounds like one of the robots from the Terminator. I mean, if you look at running shoe names, depending on the brand, some of them are just straight up goofy. (laughs) So I would have never bought into that kind of concept before until, so the last year or so, so two things. My husband bought himself specific running shoes this year when we were doing the Couch to 5K this summer, and he said totally made a world of difference, so, you know, I I have the feedback from him, but the other thing that happened to me was, um, what was that, two summers ago we did the 5K downtown, it was for beer for Atwater Brewery, and I totally ran with the wrong shoes, and for the next, I'm not joking, six months, my left heel was completely numb. Ouch. I believe it. You probably pinched some kind of nerve in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so now I know for sure the right shoes. So what would be the things you should look for when you pick out a running shoe? Since I clearly did wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So there are a couple big areas to look at, but one of the most common places to start is actually your pronation. What is pronation? Pronation is the inward rolling of your foot as it distributes your weight as you move through your stride. So if you go into a running store, a lot of times you will see shoes segmented by whether or not there's over, under, or neutral pronation. Mm. Yeah, although a lot of brands have now kind of shifted, the, I guess the technology in the shoe has gotten advanced enough that a lot of shoes can be designed to go across that spectrum. But if you do have a major pronation I don't want to say issue because it's just the way your stride is, but if you go one way or another, it's good to know because then you probably should choose a shoe that will benefit you as an over or under pronator. Because if you don't, it can lead to extra stress on different parts of your foot. Is that fixable? Do you know? Part of it's just genetic. I mean, some of it can have to do with the way you stride. But a lot of it, no, it's just kind of how your legs and your hips are aligned. Especially for girls, hips, where your Mm. hips sit kind of determines where your legs go. Okay. That actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, What's your pronation? I'm I'm assuming you know. I do. I got fitted uh, a couple years, probably more than a couple years ago. (laughs) Uh, I am a neutral pronation runner. Oh, so that's good. It means you don't, like, lean in either way? I mean, it means that... My foot rolls about 15% in as I move through my stride. And that means that as I push off into my next stride, my whole foot is rolling forward at the same like level of weight distribution. It's not rolling in or out. Okay. Got it. So neutral is a 15%. So what would be, would the other ones just be more of a percentage? So an overpronation means that you're rolling more than 15%. In. And what that does is as your foot rolls in, it puts more stress on like the inside arch and your big toe. And then when you push off, most of the stress and your body weight is pushing off on like your big toe. So if you picture your foot hitting the ground, your weight is hitting the middle and then shifting in. Got it. So if this is an issue for you and you can get fitted for this, or you can also, you'll notice if you watch your stride and you push mostly off. Um, Many experts will actually recommend orthotics or specialized shoes so that you're not putting all of that extra weight on your big toe. So this is interesting. I believe that based on everything you're saying that I'm actually then, I guess would be under pronation. 
Yeah, underpronation or supination. Okay, so yeah, definitely I, I notice when I run, or even just when I'm like standing and walking, I will shift my weight to the outside of my foot. So I guess that means that I'm when I'm stepping, I'm not rolling inward, I'm rolling outward, so it's concentrating on the outside of the foot? Yes. Okay. So this is common among runners with high arches and often accompanies tight Achilles tendons. So if you do have supination, like me, <laughs> uh, strength training and extra stretching of your calves, hamstrings, IT band, and your quads can help correct and combat those issues in your stride. Yeah, and a really easy way to tell if you are an underpronator is if you look at the bottom of your shoes and the back heel and then the outer edge will wear more quickly than the rest of the shoe. You can also tell if you put them like on a flat surface and if they lean out a little bit, then you've worn the tread more than the inside. So fun fact, listeners, we're in my closet right now. So I'm going to grab one of my shoes. <laughs> and check out the wear pattern. Yeah, for sure. This is like a really old pair of hair boots. So they're not, they're not running shoes, but um, yeah, definitely. My outside is like really oh. more worn than my inside. There you go. It's because okay. your outer heel is striking first. Today I learned. You are an underpronator. <laughs> As long as I'm not an underachiever. <laughs> no one would ever accuse you of being an underachiever. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned, like, uh, orthotics or specialized shoes. Uh, does that also include, like, cushioning or, like... Because I've seen that in running shoes before. Some of them are flat, some of them are super cushioned. So, like, why, why would you choose what? So, the cushioning actually goes across the entire spectrum of pronation. That comes down to more of a comfort thing. So... Like you said, there's a whole bunch of different ones. Everything from the running barefoot experience, like the weird... The toe shoes. Yeah. yeah. What have, Do you have those? Have you ever run with those? I've never run with them. One, they kind of weird me out, like seeing people walk in the... I don't know. They, I don't... Lo they look like um, like flippers, like something you would wear in the water. Yeah. Like, uh, like water socks. Oh, yeah. There's something weird with the... I don't know, the toes. Anyway, <laughs> I've never run in them. One, they're kind of expensive for what they are. And two, the, I like to have some cushioning. I don't really want to... Feel it. Feel it. Mm -hmm. I, the other end of the spectrum is the idea of, like, the running on clouds feel. Mm -hmm. Not really my cup of tea either. I'm more of, like, the middle end. To each their own, if you like the foot shoes, whatever those things are called. I have in my A6... The regular cushion, if you look at ASIC's website, they have the different spectrums. Mine's kind of like in the middle. So it's not really a cloud that I'm running on, but it supports me and I don't feel the impact going up through my leg as much. Yeah, I guess when I when I think about the times I have run and the shoes I have worn, I suppose I'd hurt the least after when they've been flatter. So for me, I guess I would be on the other end of the spectrum with less cloud-like, more ground like more ground like yeah <laughs> speaking of the ground <laughs> yeah so the other thing you have to think about when you're choosing a running shoe is where you're going to be running and if it varies you might actually need to buy more than one pair of shoes okay so if you're going to be running primarily on a treadmill or on sidewalks or even some of the trails that are paved or yeah. paved or the dirt so pounded down that it's basically flat 
a regular running shoe will suffice. If you're looking to do a little off-roading, a shoe that is designed for trail running is probably your best bet. Yeah, so I would assume those shoes are designed to have probably more grip, more protection, a little sturdier to stabilize your ankles and your knees on some of the uneven ground. Yeah, so they have more structure on the inside. Some of them even have, like, extra toe protections if you, you know, kick a root. Or a rock. Oh, so you for sure would need special shoes whether you were doing a trailing run or not. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have the grace of a gazelle. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I'm sure you do for how much you run, and I don't hear about you getting hurt too much, so you might just be a really good runner, and that's about it. <laughs> no, actually, I just also have never done trail running. <laughs> that probably contributes to it. Yeah. So this is always an interesting topic, too. We've talked about running shoes are expensive. Yeah. So... Traditional wisdom says that you should replace your shoes every 400 miles. That's a lot. I don't think I've ever even run 400 miles in my life. <laughs> I mean, you've walked 400 miles. Oh, <laughs> probably can't include that. It's probably illegal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so for me, 400 miles could be between anywhere like six to eight months. Okay. Sometimes less. It depends on if I'm doing other things. Is this just a rule you made up so you could get more shoes? No. Do I need to tell Shane? No. You can Google it. It is a very well-known fact that most running experts will say. And the reason that it is, is if you run 400 miles, all of those attributes of the shoes that we just talked about get broken down. So do you actually notice, uh, you know, near the end of your shoe life that it is getting, is it, is it harder to run or you, you're hurting more after or what's the feeling when you, they need to be replaced? I hurt more. Also, the way that my heel is just, I guess, shaped or the way that I pull my shoe on, I start to like dig a little hole in the back. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen that before. Not, I'm not saying on your shoes, I'm saying just in people's shoes where the back gets worn out. Yeah. But a lot of it is, and you can also tell if you look at the shoe, the sole stops kind of bouncing back and it gets those crinkles mm-hmm. in the rubber. Yeah. You're basically breaking down. And if you think about it, your weight times your acceleration, there's a lot of force hitting that repeatedly. Right. So that's where that natural wisdom comes from. Okay. So then, okay, so you need to have multiple pairs depending on where you're running. You should have some cushioning maybe. You should get ones that align with your way you do your weight of your heel. So then are you recommending people go get fitted for running shoes? I mean, if you have a running store near you, they can recommend a shoe for you based on your stride. If you go to a place like Brooks, they actually have treadmills in the store or they used to. I don't know if that's still a thing with COVID, but you could actually run on a treadmill and check it. Okay. But if you don't have a running store by you or you don't want to go to the store, I know Brooks' site has a home survey that will tell you what kind of shoe you need. So they have you do different, like, walking patterns and how you stand and you fill out the questionnaire and it'll That's tell you. Did. Yeah. So yeah. it'll tell you what you should buy. Cool. Okay. So let's go back to where running. I know that we've said that you're not really doing trail running. So I guess where do you run? I know for me personally, I usually only run when alcohol is involved. <laughs> So like the wine 5k we did and I've done a beer 5k, but I know there's many other options. So I guess, do you, you run indoors at the gym or do you prefer like outdoor? So I ran on the track when I lived in St. Louis 
I actually hate running on treadmills. I get <laughs> really bored. And at my old house, my treadmill just looked at my washer and dryer. So not a great view. Not a great view. So really, I tend to mostly run around my neighborhood. And I have laid out courses, essentially, so I know how far I go. Mm-hmm. But there's also other outdoor options for people if, you know, you are traveling or if you don't necessarily live somewhere where it's easy to go running. Mm-hmm. Um, things like tracks at either parks or schools are a great option. I know the middle school near us has one, and I see people on that all the time. If you are going to brave the trails, I will only do the smooth ones, <laughs> but you can choose to adventure off of them. And then road running would be kind of like running around your neighborhood, or if you're going to brave the sidewalks of some busier streets, that would also be an option. So obviously with running outside, you probably don't do it year-round, especially around here, factoring in weather and anything that might make you slip or fall or both, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I will run when it's really hot, but I prefer to not run if it's about 75. And humidity is really a big thing, especially if you're a new, newer runner, because it will actually be harder to breathe when it's very humid. Mm. Same goes for if it's really cold. But we talked about in a previous episode that I don't run outside if it's below 38 degrees. <laughs> I don't like going outside when it's under 38 degrees, so running is probably not something I want to do either. <laughs> That's also fair. So... It's a great transition to our next topic in terms of being careful when running in certain weathers, and that's avoiding injury. So I would assume, like, running, and we kind of talked about it at the top of the episode, with with any workout regimen, you have to listen to your body and advance at a comfortable pace. If it's hurting, legit hurting you to run, maybe take a break, or maybe don't go as hard or go a little shorter, right? Yeah, if if you are hurting, if you have giant knots in your calves or anything else like that, Take a break. Take probably a couple days off. And like I think we already mentioned, if you're a new runner, don't go out and try to run 10 miles right away or even five. You will regret it the next day, (laughs) possibly a quarter of the way through. Yeah. And then you're not going to go do it again because it's so terrible. (laughs) Yeah. So from the research that we've done, things that you got to look out for or common injuries from running or overexerting would be shin splints. I know those are really common for runners. Runner's knee, tendonitis, hamstring injuries, and plantar fasciitis. And none of those are fun. No. Especially, I used to get shin splints occasionally, even when we would do training runs for softball. Mm-hmm. Like, the first week of training, and they just are basically putting you through conditioning. And it's like, oh, it's winter, so I haven't been running. Right. And then just everything hurts. Yes. All right. So, we've both run 5Ks. And I kind of want to run a 10K. Really? There's a specific 10K that I want to run. I want to run the bridge run in Charleston with my sister. Oh, cool. But our question of the week for you guys this week is marathoners. Are they crazy or would you run with them? We already know my answer. Absolutely not. (laughs) No, really? I don't even want to run a marathon. No. (laughs) But I'd love to hear from someone who does. Yeah, if you... Or who has. Well, I guess my sister has to comment. Yeah. She's run like four, but she's crazy. You're running for three hours. Just think about that. More than that. Okay, if you're really good, you're running for three hours. Yeah. Yeah, so most people are running more like for four hours. So, let us know on social. Are you one of the crazies that will run for four hours? (laughs) Or are you more 
like me or Lisa, whichever one you are more closely related to. Let us know on Facebook or Instagram, and we will see you next time. Bye.